Okay. Thank you for the introduction. Um, I had actually planned my own introduction, and then she told me on Wednesday that we're going to introduce you. So um, it's good to be here. Thank you for letting me speak to you today. The class today um, is on, my title is uh, Autoimmune Faith, A Dive into the Psychology of Psalm 42. When I got asked to speak, I was told I could pick any psalm I wanted as long as it wasn't taken. <laughs> uh, so being in the field that I'm in, I wanted to choose a psalm of lamentation. Uh, it's just what I do. Um, I think a lot of us suffer a lot, and I think we suffer alone a lot. And so it was just, it's kind of my wheelhouse. And so that's kind of why I chose Psalm 42. Before we begin, though, I know that we're all coming from a different place. I saw so many out-of-state license plates in our parking lot today. Um, I just ask for you guys to just come here right now. Come here today. Come into the Bible with me today. And just let go of all of that. And just be together today in, in the words. So, again, the title of the class is Autoimmune Faith, A Dive into the Psychology of Psalm 42. The reason I chose autoimmunity is kind of twofold. Your sheets will kind of outline some of that. But women actually are diagnosed fourfold over men. So most autoimmune diseases, you're seeing like a 10 to 1 ratio. So many more women are diagnosed with autoimmune diseases. It's kind of a... People don't really know why. Um, I think there's a lot of um, guesses about our X chromosome and all those things. I'm not trying to get into a, a health talk here, but I just want you to understand the basis of autoimmunity before we go into the class today. I kind of drew what you have on your picture. You have two sides. Um, the first side is really going to talk about autoimmunity. And then I overlaid our theme for today, which is faith first versus fear first on top of it, so that you could kind of see where we were going. I am a hands-on person, so that's why I tried to bring a whole lot of different things in, into the class today um, for those people that learn, learn best that way. So please feel free to write on them. Um, this little handout was kind of just, I kind of thought it looked similar to the, to the cell that you guys see in your picture. We're also going to be switching back and forth in different references in the Bible from Psalm 42, so I thought you could use it as a bookmark. Um, but also just kind of a memory of what we're going to be talking about today. So that's what that's for. Let me know if you need one. Um, they are making more printouts, so hopefully everybody gets that. Um, but in the same way, autoimmune diseases, and as you can see on that sheet, there's a healthy cell and the autoimmune cell. And basically what's happening is the T cell gets confused and it starts attacking the cell of your body. So your T cells get confused and they start attacking the cell of your body. And so that's really the process of autoimmunity. And for some women, it's different, and for men, of course. But essentially what this class is about is this T cell <coughs> is going to become our fear-first mindset, and it's going to start attacking the system here. 
And so that's kind of really the idea. So on the back side of the form, I kind of tried to draw something like this. You guys are happy to make notes on there. Um, faith first, fear first, right? So down here, it's going to be all of our fears. And we'll go through that as we go through class today. So those are the handouts. All right, let's get started. So autoimmunity, in the same way as our mind, can do the same type of thing, just like we see in Psalm 42. Our mind can start attacking our faith without us ever even knowing that it's doing it. And so what I'd like today is to, we'll read through Psalm 42, and then we'll take out different references in the Bible that kind of coincide a lot with Psalm 42 and that same lamentation. We'll look at some fear, faith first mindsets and some fear first mindsets. And then that'll be our class today. So if you guys want to turn with me to Psalm 42, we'll start there. I'm going to read this one because it's kind of long, but I will invite you throughout the class to read for me. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me, and why do I go on mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I would ask, after reading this psalm, maybe for you to reflect a little bit, how often in the last five years have you felt like you were suffering alone? Crying alone, suffering, weeping, without feeling like God is ever seeing a tear or hearing you at all. Because I would say, based on my experience, it's pretty often. We go and we lament the same way the psalm laments to us. In the mental health and medical field, it's common to feel like you're suffering alone. I've been in a lot of bedsides, I've been in a lot of deaths, and these families feel like God doesn't see them, that God doesn't hear them. And I want to, I want to combat that today, but I want to dive deep into why our mind does that first. 
Look at verse 3 and see how the psalmist responds to trials. He's saying, My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? The psalmist is literally living on his tears. And I'm sure there are many people in here that felt like they have too been living on their tears. How often do you lament over your circumstances? It might be the medical bill. It might be a physical ailment. And it might be the sin you vow. The psalm really has two minds talking here. It's the one of fear first, crying out to God, and the one of faith first, which is the deliverance and the hope. I would contest that doubt and worry can become so common that it becomes normal in your mind. You don't even know you're doing it anymore. You do it so often, it's just part of your day-to-day. What would you guys say are some of the fear-first mindsets we see in Psalm, in this Psalm? Verse 3 is jumping out. Okay. The question, where is your God? Where is your God? The question of God. people with depression and anxiety. Depression and anxiety are the two leading causes of mental health diseases in America, and 15 million people today are diagnosed with depression. It's the leading cause of disability right now in the United States. Every single minute, a person dies from suicide. And total across the world, that's 800,000 deaths per year. You might, in the last five years, feel like you've been suffering 
and maybe it's through sin in your life. Maybe it's something that is totally outside of your control. But your pain is real, just like it's real here in this psalm. But it's going to eat away at your faith if you let it. These, never, these negative thought patterns are the hallmark of fear and anxiety. Fear is the hallmark of uh, anxiety and hopelessness is the bedrock of depression. Would anybody like to share anything in the last five years that has kind of dominated their mindset and maybe you've had a fear first mindset kind of like we see in the psalm? Kind of a deep question. Go ahead. I have macular degeneration. Okay. Which has caused me to give up driving. I feel like my wings have been clipped oh. for the last year and a half. Well, it'll be two years since we're getting Christmas time. Mm-hmm. So, I gave up driving. so the world's gotten small. And it is so debilitating. But that's not all. When I look at something, it may look one way. And I look again, and it's totally different. Mm-hmm. I look again, and it's totally different again. Maybe a five will look like a three, then it'll look like an eight, then it will look like a nine. And I just have to focus a long time before I can finally decide what it really is. Mm-hmm. It is very, very difficult. So not only are driving, but maybe just reading and writing. Yeah, reading is, I have to have really good light and a bad fire. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. I'm glad you brought that today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing with us. So, disease is something that can dominate our mindset and cause us to have fear. Go ahead. Okay. Tell me more about that. see that when we're in the forest, right? And unless you have your compass, or unless you have the helicopter that's going to bring you to the top of the forest, you don't know what the pattern is going to be, right? We have an internal dialogue that plays out in our mind, and I would contest a lot of the psalms are that is that dialogue we see come out the really honest dialogue of this is what I'm thinking and this is what I'm feeling. Sometimes they can play out in words 
And sometimes those words become so ingrained in us, they actually become actions and can really um, tear at our faith. So let's look into the Bible and kind of look at some of how this fear-first mindset plays out. Turn with me to Judges chapter 6. God has allowed the Midianites to fall into the hand, or, yeah, God has allowed Israel to fall into the hands of the Midianites. In verse 6, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 1. Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Can somebody actually then go to 6, verse 12 and 13 and read those for me? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. So Gideon is in such a fear-first mindset he can't even see that God has come to him in person in an angel. He has so much fear that's blinded him that he can't even see God is standing there face to face as an angel. In verse 12, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. He's coming and saying, the Lord is with you. And he can't even see it because he's so blinded by his fear. By all of the physical losses that he's had in life, he's blinding himself to the fact that God is even standing there. It's the same in Psalm 42. Look at verse 10. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Your suffering can make you so sick with doubt and worry that it can dominate your faith. Just like it dominated Gideon. Just like it dominated the psalmist. You won't even be able to see if God shows up in person. You won't be able to see the door he's open because your fear will dominate you. Look how Gideon longs for God in verse 13 and how it mimics Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. The longing comes out again and again through this psalm. Despite God's promise to Gideon, he'll go on to argue with the angel that he's the least in his father's house. He seeks a sign and will continue in the negative mindset, continuing to seek signs. So three times God tells Gideon that he's with him. Look what he says in Judges 6, verse 24. What does Gideon name the altar there? The Lord is peace. He gets to see the sign, and the sign gives him peace that the Lord is with him, that the Lord is actually with him. I think that this is a lesson 
God knows we need reassurance. He knows that we need that. Can maybe be a share time in the last five years they've been reassured by God? God's opened the door. Yeah, go ahead. Two years ago, I fell over the toilet, broke my ribs. Everybody knows this because they prayed for me. <laughs> I sat back and I said to God, oh, I really did it now. God gave her hope. He answered her clearly. Anybody else? Yeah.
somebody could just read for us uh, chapter 3, verse 11 and suffering and arguing all the ways they shouldn't be picked. The fear first mindset is dominant in this psalm. In verse 5 he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? I think sometimes when we're suffering we ask that. Like, why? What is my problem? I know what God's saying, but I'm so scared. I know what he tells me, but I'm so fearful. Let's kind of flip the script a little bit and look at a faith-first mindset. Look in verse 8. He says, By day, I'm sorry, we're back in Psalm. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. This faith-first mindset is one we see in Hezekiah. Turn to 2 Kings 18. 
We're really introduced to Hezekiah in verses 1 through 4, but let's start in verse 5 through 8, if somebody can read that for us. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the this is, yep. for he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went, he prospered. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory, from watchtower to fortified city. Thank you. So Hezekiah is threatened by this massive king. And he's coming, and we're told at some point that it's just the remnant at this point. And in verse 20, he's asked by Rabshakeh, on what do you rest this trust of yours? So from the outside looking in at Hezekiah, he doesn't seem scared, although I think he's shaking in his boots a little bit. But we can see it because the people obey him at the wall. They don't speak. Most of us are not making wars in our towns and cities. <laughs> we might be in our workplace a little bit if we pray at lunchtime or bring our Bible or something like that. But Hezekiah came to restore the kingdom. And in 18.7, he rebelled against the king of Assyria. And he's really rebelling against them. Tearing down altars. But look what he does in verse 19.1. He went to the house of the Lord. The threat is brought against him. The very first thing he does is he goes to God first. He goes to God in prayer first. He does the second thing that's really interesting. Look in 2 Kings 19.2. He seeks counsel. He seeks the counsel of his household. And he seeks the counsel of Isaiah. He's not doing it alone. Should I repeat that for all of us women? He's not doing it alone. (laughs) That's hard for us. Right? I'll just do it. I got it. But he's not battling alone. He's not weeping alone. He's going with his household. He's going to Isaiah. We have people to go to. We have people to seek after when we're ill, when we're sick, when we're suffering. Let's look at one other example. Look at Mark 5, 22, verse 30, 25, 22 through 34. If somebody could read that for us. Thirty-four. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, "My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her, so that she will get well and live." And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for twelve 
missing from this too because we're not told of the tradition and the Jewish culture around blood either. So there's a lot missing from this story for her. She would have been ostracized. She wouldn't be able to go to worship. She probably just wouldn't be able to have any common exchanges. But see what her mind says in verse 28. If I even touch his garments, I will be made well. That's a faith first mindset if I've ever heard one. If I even touch his garments, I will be made well. She believes in her mind and her actions lead her to healing. And in verse 29, immediately the flow of blood dried up. So she instantly knows. Jesus knows. It's the only time that two people could have walked away. Or the only time we're told that Jesus would have walked away and she would have walked away. And no one would have ever known that she was killed. The only time. But he doesn't. And he's saying, who touched me? All these people are pushing in on and they're like, uh, like 15 people touched you. Um, but she comes honestly and she says what she did. And he says, I want you to notice in verse 34, three things. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. All the things we need in all of these situations we hear God say. We need that peace. Our faith makes us well. Be healed. What amazing words. She believed. Her mind led her. Her actions followed. I want to suggest three things to overcome this fear first mindset. The first thing is spend time and deep character Bible studies. I don't think that's all right. Um, we're not told that much about her, but she's still a character. 
and she's still one that we can still follow because we all suffer. Has anyone actually done a deep character Bible study and who'd you study? Was it helpful? Anybody want to share one? No one? <laughs> we just finished the book of Esther. Okay. And that was an excellent um, study. Yeah. Good example. Okay. I can spell anything, right? Okay. The second way is to develop habits. that put your mind in a faith-first posture. Start developing an internal dialogue that's positive. By using Psalms, by using positive statements, not only about yourself, but about God and what his plans are for you. For example, create in me a clean heart, O God. <clears throat> Pretty much all of Psalm 101, specifically verse 2, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I don't know if anybody else has one that you use or play over in your mind that you want to share. Happy to hear those because I think it's helpful. Anyone? There's a proverb. Okay. Proverbs 29, 25. Okay. It says the fear of man breaks a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be Also, just sitting and saying it slowly or really looking at the details of it, just like the woman in Mark 5, we don't really take the time to look at the details of what that might have been like for her and maybe how it's similar to our stories. Um, Jer Jeremiah um, uh, 29, 11 through 13. For I know the thoughts that are, I think, toward you, says the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search me with all your Perfect. I want to I go over this, but before I do, I want to assert one more thing. I think that, and I don't mean this in any detrimental way because I think our suffering is very real for each of us in this room. So please hear that. But I want to assert that our fear first mindset comes because we love the world too much. 
Turn with me to John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. These same three things that he says here in John are the same three things that Jesus is tested with in Matthew 4. The desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. When we love these things, they dominate our prayers. They dominate our thoughts. Our physical needs are dominant. How often are you praying about your physical need over your spiritual need? We're going to worry about them. We're going to pray about them. We're going to think about them being taken away. We're going to be thinking about how little of them we have. I want to tell you one story and then class will be yours a true story. It happened in the last five years. But I want you just to kind of close your eyes and keep feel comfortable doing that while I tell the story. This is how the uh, term, the vision stays the same, came up. It's a story about a 15-year-old girl. She's a uh, playing in a competitive softball game and she gets a pounding headache and she has to stop playing the game. They go to the doctor. The doctor says it's a sinus infection. But several weeks the headache keeps persisting and the doctors are thinking to themselves, what are we missing? So they finally do an MRI, and she's diagnosed with cancer. She has two baseball-sized lesions in her brain. Because of the severity and size of the cancer, they have to start treating right away. She goes into treatment, and for several months, she's treated with chemotherapy. She tries to keep her strength up. And she keeps telling her parents the vision stays the same. And they say, what, what do you mean when you keep saying the vision stays the same? And she says, no matter what happens to me, God's plan stays the same. After her chemotherapy, they do another MRI. They can't find any cancer in her brain. They rejoice. But chemotherapy is often followed by radiation. She gets radiation for two months. She has burns on her head and her neck, and she keeps trying to keep her strength up. She finally goes home. She goes home, starts having back pain. They do another MRI. She has cancer in her spine and in all, most of her organs. They decide to take her home on hospice. And the whole time she's become 
awake her of what she is. She's lost all of her hair. Her cheeks are thin. She's protected. As she keeps telling her parents through praise songs and prayer at night, God's vision stays the same. And her dad that's now out telling her story says it was almost impossible to see that vision that she saw the whole time she was getting treatment. But now he's out sharing her story. You can open your eyes now. I would suggest that even when it seems impossible, as it did with all these stories and as it probably feels like in your own life, the vision of God and his plan stays the same. Psalm 42 ends with, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Thank you.